I don't want people to misunderstand what's going on and to assume that because migrants are here, all of a sudden there's violence. Because migrants are here, all of a sudden there's tension. It's always been tension. It's a hostile environment. So when you have an influx of new people, whether migrants or not, you're going to always have more of a strain. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Silgado. Last month, a flurry of attention over the unannounced arrival of dozens of asylum seekers to the small Massachusetts island of Martha's Vineyard reignited interest in the arrivals to New York City and where they stand when they get off the buses in Port Authority. For months now, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been sending buses of migrants into the city. While the idea of asylum seekers being taken from the border region to destinations in the Northeast is not new, the difference now is that it's being done explicitly without coordination. And sometimes there's little, if any at all, input from the migrants themselves. The city's initial reaction was to funnel people into shelters, but officials and unhoused New Yorkers alike say the move is overburdening what was already a system stretched thin. Today, I talked to Shams DeBaron, also known as the Homeless Hero, about what the shelter system was like prior to the influx of migrants and how it's changed. We also talk about what is being done to address the problems for both migrants and unhoused New Yorkers. My name is Shams DeBaron. Um, I'm also known as the Homeless Hero. And so, in a nutshell, I, I grew up in foster care since the age of two. I started experiencing homelessness at the age of 10. At 12, I was permanently discharged into the streets uh, with no safety net. And so I experienced homelessness on and off throughout my childhood and uh, much of my adult life. I raised my son as a single parent in family shelters throughout his entire junior high school and high school years. Uh, I rose to prominence in the single adults shelter system as a resident of the Lucerne Hotel during the pandemic, where we were temporarily housed to prevent the spread of COVID. And so I rose to prominence after the then mayor, Bill de Blasio, uh, attempted to remove us from that hotel due to uh, some of the people in the community uh, opposing us being there. And it was the mayor's statement that, the then mayor's statement that we were not acceptable to live in that area that prompted him to want to move us. And because of that, I began to speak out publicly and advocate on behalf of not just us, but homeless people throughout the city. And so now, I guess we're three years into this, and I continue to work as an independent uh, advocate or citizen who's doing good, trying to do good for for other people. Um, And so this new mayor and administration uh, under Eric Adams uh, has a different approach. Um, Instead of being adversarial towards me and and homeless population, he has allowed me, myself, and other homeless New Yorkers to have a seat at the table in his administration to help make policy and address issues of housing and homelessness. Can you explain to me what the scene at the shelter system was like before the migrants started coming in? Well, I call these shelters congregate death traps. The shelters have always been an inhumane place, an uninhabitable place. Many of the shelters, especially those that are 
or congregate settings. Many have become drug dens and havens for criminal activity. So my mission has been to get people out of shelters and into housing in the quickest amount of time and hopefully to reduce the shelter population and start to close many of these shelters down. So the problem with the shelters that exist long before migrants, so-called migrants came into the city was that these are places under Callahan, right? That says, you know, we give you a right to shelter, but doesn't really define what that shelter should look like. So under Callahan, the limitations of Callahan, which gives us that right to shelter is, it says that the city's obligation is to provide for three hots, three meals, a cot, and a locker and the roof. There is no requirement for mental health services, for substance abuse services, for peer support. None of that is required in these contracts or under Callahan. And so the city has continuously done as little as they could to stabilize people who are coming from traumatic experiences. And because it hasn't invested in housing for low-income or no-income people, what has developed is what I call a homeless industrial complex or a shelter industrial complex. And so this has now become big business to keep people warehoused in these inhumane, uninhabitable facilities. So the influx of people who are coming into the country as they have every right to do for a better life to be ushered into an already broken system is not in the best interest of those people. It's not in the best interest of those people who are already suffering and it's not going to be in the best interest of all New York City. Can you tell me what it's been like now that the migrants are coming in? What kind of shift did you see at the homeless shelters? Have there been any tensions between migrants and homeless New Yorkers? Can you explain a little bit about what that's been like? I'll say like this, you know, you got to think that the shelter system prior to the migrants have always been hostile environments. They're dangerous environments. So, you know, I don't want people to misunderstand what's going on and to assume that because migrants are here, all of a sudden there's violence. Because migrants are here, all of a sudden there's tension. It's always been tension. It's a hostile environment. So when you have an influx of new people, whether migrants or not, you're going to always have more of a strain. What no one's speaking of is the fact that many of these places are understaffed prior to the migrants. So the hardest population to integrate into these type of systems is the immigrant population. We all have challenges and we all go through experiences and you don't know what people's trauma is no matter where they came from. So that exists with everybody, right? So, you know, it's not about a comparison, but I do have to recognize that a person like me, I know how to navigate the system. But you take someone who's never been here and not only do they not know the ways of New York City and how to navigate all of the systems, but they also have a language barrier because maybe they speak one language. So communicating is a barrier. And then add to that, they don't have proper paperwork. They're not able to integrate into the society immediately. That creates a further strain on them. And so the fear is that this population make it stuck in this inhumane environment because the reality is, where's the housing coming from? We're, big, we're unable to get the 63,000 people we now have in shelter housed. So where's the housing going to come from? It's like the one thing you don't see is the people leaving shelter for housing. 
we're seeing the grabbing of hotels, the grabbing of any buildings or any place that can shelter people. And where this starts not to make sense, and this has always been the argument, it costs more to shelter people than it does to house them. For a family, you can spend well over $6,000 a month for a family to be in a family shelter. This is huge amounts of money being made in the shelter industrial complex. Have you talked to some of the people in the shelters right now? Um, I know you mentioned that homeless shelters were already ill-equipped to help homeless people before. Have you heard anything from people that are there right now? Like, what is the scene looking like? And what kind of help do both groups need right now? Not to confuse the migrant crisis with the homelessness crisis. We already have this overburdened shelter that is not properly serving the city that we are trying to change. And if you add on to that, not only do those people who are there become negatively impacted by this new influx and overburdening situation, but those people who are coming are going to suffer. And let's not talk about the strain on all of the frontline workers who work in these facilities. That's not going to work because you don't have enough shelter beds. You don't have enough space. So there's a problem. So my suggestion, and I see the mayor, you know, he moved right on it, is you have to separate the two. It's not the same issue. You have to still focus on fixing this broken system by getting people who are in those shelters housed, by getting those people who are on our streets proper care. You can't stop that because we have a different issue or could we have another issue and so the idea of creating a triage approach to this population is probably it's not the ideal situation but it's better than putting them in the shelter system in answer to your question yeah i get calls all the time and the information i'm getting is indicating that there's a reduction in services and attention towards those people who have already been sheltered. The staffing is overwhelmed. Every call that is made, the response is, sorry, but the migrant crisis is overwhelming us. Sorry, I can't attend to that because I'm stuck on this with the migrant crisis. And the residents are feeling that that pain. And so it's not the migrants, it's just trying to find the way, right way to address it. We're in an emergency situation. That's another thing that we have to commend the mayor for doing is saying, I'm going to issue a state of emergency so that I don't have to be battling. I don't know if that's why he said it, but so he doesn't have to battle to try and do something that needs to be done right now. Is there anything that New Yorkers themselves can do to help, like the average New Yorker, is there anything else they can do to help both groups right now? One is just, first of all, just understand that we are dealing with human beings. Let's start there. Our humanity has to say, whatever we can do, let's do something. You you do have a voice in terms of the political process, even though you may not be a, a politician or an advocate or something like that. And you have to push your elected officials to basically address something that has been overlooked for so long. And that is the treatment of people experiencing homelessness and housing insecurity and the resources that go to it. No taxpayer should be okay with anybody sleeping on a cot at a cost of $3,400 a month. Like that is insane. 
No one should be. So now we have to look at what are we doing to build housing, low income or affordable housing in stock? Because sometimes we say low income, but it's not necessarily low income. You got regular workers that can't afford to live in New York City. We need to create housing or vouchers and increase our voucher system so that regular New Yorkers can live a decent life. And those with low incomes or no incomes, we need to be able to create housing to address all of these groups of people and to make sure that they are safe. So New Yorkers have to, no matter where you at or what your situation is, see, we have to see that this is our collective issue. And we have to start where we at. Yes, be benevolent. But beyond that, we have to do something that's going to impact a change so that we don't have to do this anymore. So that we don't have to see people suffer like this anymore. And that's where we have to all come together as stakeholders to say we're not going to allow homelessness in New York City. We have to use that collective power to demand that. Whether we white, black, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. We have to say we don't want to see human beings sleeping on trains, sleeping in the streets, sleeping in inhumane environments. Well, Shams, thank you so much for speaking with me. I'm always very enlightened at everything you have to say. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Something I didn't ask that you think I should know? You know, like I said, just see ourselves as stakeholders, no matter what our situation is. Be proactive instead of reactive. Look for solutions as we understand the problems and be open-minded to hearing from diverse people in diverse groups. As you just heard, it's important to push your elected officials to make sure all New Yorkers have a safe home. If you're not sure who your representative is, click the link in our show notes or visit mygovnyc.org. Other ways you can help include donating money, clothing, food, toiletries, and other essentials. And of course, your time. Shelters and food pantries need your help now more than ever. Before we go, our new weekly update on the monkeypox vaccine in New York City. Make sure to stay tuned for the latest information on vaccines, testing, care options, and much more. Hi, I'm Sam Zacker, back with this week's New York City MPV update. Last week, we walked you through some major updates. First being, the Department of Health will now refer to the monkeypox virus as MPV. We also discussed expanded eligibility that now includes anyone of any sexual orientation or gender identity who is at risk for MPV. Today, some good news. MPV cases across New York City and the country have been decreasing. And last week, New York City Health Commissioner Ashwin Vossen announced that significant progress has been made in containing the spread of MPV. He even said that the city has, quote, turned a corner. Still, Vossen admitted that he cannot yet declare victory. He explained that technical glitches and mid-course changes to the method of vaccine administration led New Yorkers to frustration and questions, and that may have hindered some from getting vaccinated. So, even though case counts are continuing to drop, we need to make sure that anyone who may be at risk of contracting MPV gets vaccinated. If you need help, we're here for you. Drop us a line at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com or... Sign up for our text message alerts by simply texting monkeypox to 718-400-6745. Thanks for listening. Join us weekly for more news and information on MPV in New York City. Keep in mind that things are changing quickly, so if you have any specific questions or need help making a vaccine appointment, reach out to us directly at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com 
or call 917-818-2690. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.